Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, we're closing out our series, uh, Surprised by Hope, this morning. We've been in this for seven weeks, and I hope you've been a part of a small group or at least tracked along with us each week as we've kind of jumped in, as I said last week, in the deep end of the pool on some things and uh, been growing, and then uh, next week we'll move on to another series. And today we're looking at, as we close it out, the hope of the church, the hope of the church. What would you think would happen if the church just cease to exist right now like i mean all churches just suddenly stop and they were not they just didn't exist anymore i mean would it even make a difference i think there's a lot of people think that it wouldn't even make a difference uh, to our culture to our world at all the church has a rich history of sorts Uh, let me read this quote to you about hospitals and medicine The very conception of medicine as well as its practice was deeply touched by the doctrine and discipline of the church. This theological and ecclesiastical influence manifestly shaped the ethics of medicine, but it even indirectly affected its science since as its missionaries evangelized the peoples of Western and Northern Europe, the church found itself in a constant battle against the use of magic and superstition in the work of healing. It championed rational medicine along with prayer to counter superstition. We've got a rich history, the church does, and being a part of medicine from the very beginning and trying to make medicine itself healthier in a way. But how about education? Has the church done anything for education down through the ages? It says 106 of the first 108 colleges were started on the Christian faith. Can you believe that? By the close of 1860, there were 246 colleges in America. And here are some that were started by either pastors, theologians, or groups of people who said, we want our folks in churches to be better educated. And uh, look at the names, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cambridge, Edinburgh, William and Mary, Columbia, Brown, Rutgers. I mean, the church, the church has had a part to play in all of this, or is this just old history and now the church is like, antiquated and are we propping it up on its last legs in hopes that somehow some way you know that people will appreciate the historic import that the church has had in in the world is that where we are now or does the church still have a place is there a hope in the church does the church offer hope to the world is there is there a reason for us to exist now i think that's a good question and i think there's something very mystical and beautiful about the church itself Uh, Jesus thinks so much of the church that he has some descriptions of it. He calls it his bride, his beautiful bride. And uh, he loves it. And one day his bride, the church, and he himself are going to have a reunion together. And it is going to be an amazing thing when it happens. And so Jesus thinks a lot of his church. He said that, uh, you know, he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not even prevail against him. But here's the question for us this morning. When we talk about the church, a lot of us go, well, I get it, the whole big church, the whole worldwide universal church. Uh, You know, as a pastor, I come across people sometimes and they go, I say, well, where do you go to church? And people will go, well, I don't go to church. I'm a part of the church. 
you know, I'm a part of the universal church. And here's the deal about the universal church. Yeah, you can be a part of the universal church and never have to have any interaction with anybody, which is totally foreign to the scripture. All the scriptures we've been reading for this past seven weeks, everything that we look at in the epistles, which is that latter part of your Bible over there, that thin portion in the back where Paul wrote most of that, most of that is written to groups of people, not one person. It's written to a local church like you, like you guys. It's meant to be lived out in a local expression together, and that makes it very tough sometimes. But is there a hope? Is the church a hope? And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be over in Ephesians, the third chapter, if you've got your Bible or your app, or if you'll take your hand out and flip it over. The scripture will be on the other side of your app as well as a fill-in there. And so I'm, let's read this scripture together, our text today, and then I'll pray and we'll jump into this. Here we go. You ready? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Um, Jesus, I ask that you help me in my weakness, that you would come. And uh, we just want to hear what you have to say, honestly. And breathe life on your word. Bring it to life. Holy Spirit, we're told that He would come and teach us all things, and that is that you would illuminate your words to us and make them real. And so we're your church, Lord. We're gathered here this morning, and we ask for you to do that. So we submit ourselves to it, and we ask for you to speak to me, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. you got to fill in there, and your first fill-in is this. The point I want to make about the church is that the church is about this moment. The church is about now, right now. His intent was that what? Now, through the church. Not later, not was, but in this very moment right now, the church, it would be his intent that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be known. You know, the church is not to be treated as a historic artifact, though we've got a great history in many ways. Yeah, we've got some... Side turns here and there that aren't so great in history. But the church, by and large, has been a blessing to this world. You know, it kind of gets beat up. It gets, uh, you know, it gets a little ragged for wear at times as we go down through history and different seasons and all. But the church is meant to be dynamic. It's not meant to be on pause. It's not meant to hang on a wall. I mean, I was working on this sermon at at home this week. My study room is a combination Music room, library, ancient music equipment, gathering spot, (laughs) books, uh, and anything else that my wife chooses to store in that small area. But when I was working and looking, I looked over on my wall, and I have these guitars hanging on the wall. Just there's just a few of uh, my stable, and uh, you know, I looked at this one, and I thought, boy, you know what? She's been around a long time. 
this thing. Can you see this? See all that, and she's beat up, and she's been abused at times. You know, me, I've messed with it a few times, grabbed the strings, you know. One time the, you know, the bridge came up on it, and you can still see the marks where I squirted super glue underneath there. <laughs> then put my hand on it and about ruined the guitar until I took it to a luthier, and in like five minutes he fixed it for 15 bucks where I almost ruined it. It's beat up. It's got grooves in the fretboard. It's, it's all original. It's almost 50 years old. It's a little... Uh, a little weary, maybe a little worn, but you know what? Still a lot of music left on this guitar. It's never meant to be hanging on the wall. Never meant to be a piece of antique, you know, an antique not to be played. It's meant to be picked up and it's meant for the moment. It doesn't matter what it used to be. Whoa, baby, you sound so good. <laughs> it's just waiting on somebody to pick it, you know. A lot of songs left in the guitar A lot of songs left in the church It looks beat up, it looks haggard Some of us like to go into music stores Look at guitars Just wonder, I wonder what that would sound like Boy, that one looks like somebody's really messed with it. Look at it. wonder what stories it's got. But the big question is always, how much more music does it have in it? It's about the moment with the church. And the writer of Ephesians says, you know, it's now that we play. It's now that we declare. It's now that the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ is to be heard. The moment, not later, not what happened before, but in this very moment. Sometimes, you know, church is real soft. And sometimes we thrash it, right? And, uh, but it's always got a tune in it. Always. The worst thing you can do is leave it on the wall and walk by it every now and then and go, I remember the day. I remember the day when I used to enjoy it. I remember the day when I used to be a part of the song, when it's always sitting there waiting on you to pick it up and play it again. The church is about right now. It's not about later. It's not about what happened before, as great as the story and the songs are. Jesus has called us to play the song and to enjoy the tune. Now, secondly, the church is about being an object lesson, about being an object lesson. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now, what? Through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Through the church. There is no backup plan for God. And I say some of this to encourage those of you who are church members, whether this is your church or another church is, to encourage you. But I also want to say this to some of you who have kind of walked, you walk by the church, you know, you walk by it, you drive by it. It sits there and you're like, I'm never going back to that. I'm never going to pick that back up again. But, you know, God has no second plan for how he's going to reach this world or even how he is going to see that we grow up to be the 100% human being he always created us to be. 
This is it. I mean, look around you. This is it. This is his work of art. This is his instrument through which he plays and through which he wants to do his work. There's no plan B. This is it. And so it's through the church. We are, we're that picture. We're that object lesson for, for the world to see of what it means for the wisdom of God to be expressed on the earth. How does that make you feel? That, you know, when you walk around, you, I'm just an object lesson for the wisdom of God. Does make you feel good? How about as a church when we do things together, when we worship like we did a while ago? You know, we're an object lesson for the wisdom of God. When you forgive somebody, you're an object lesson for the wisdom of God. When you do something kind for someone, you're an object lesson for the wisdom of God. You know, forgiving. I told the second service, I said, you know, how many of you want to be like Jesus? See, I can't raise my hand because I've tried for 30 years to be like Jesus. You know, it's like, it's a really tough one. But you know what I do think we can be? We can be fully human just like God always intended. I think we can be the human creation that God intended for us to be. And that kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. Like, I don't have to walk on water, things like that. But I can learn to forgive the way Jesus forgave. I can be that object lesson. I can be that picture of what it means to, to live on this earth with all that it has around it and still be an example and a, and a picture of what God always intended for his creation, for us as humans. I can be... I think with God's help, I think we can be, the church can be that group of humans who say to the world, there's something really good going on and the wisdom of God is being expressed in this place. You know, the wisdom of God is Jesus himself. That is that nobody could figure out how to get us connected with our creator. And we've tried it with all kinds of religions. We've tried it with hard work. We've tried it with everything we can. But then God comes along and in his infinite genius goes, there's only one way to restore my creation to me. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to do it. That was the brilliance of God. And in his wisdom, his son comes and dies for us. We're going to celebrate in communion in just a bit and We'll celebrate that, that inbreaking of God's love and inbreaking of his kingdom in the coming of Jesus Christ. And that inbreaking comes to a group of people, it comes to the church, it comes to us individually, but it comes to us as a community. And in that community, we're the expression of God's wisdom because before now, before Jesus' coming, there was no way to really get reconnected the right way. And so through the church, the wisdom of God is expressed. When you share your story, wherever you go, you're an object lesson for the grace of God and the mercy of God. The church is fairly important because when it is not around, they don't have it. This world doesn't have it. It doesn't have an object lesson. We're it, and there is no plan B, and you're a part of it. Something very special about the church of Jesus Christ I think this was F.F. Bruce, wonderful theologian, that said, the church appears to be God's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future, the mystery of God's will. I like that. God's pilot scheme. That's the church. 
because we're going to spend eternity together. So now we get to live it out as an object lesson before the world so the world can look around and say, man, look how wise God is. He called a people to follow him, to serve him, to live together and, and to live in such a way that look how they treat each other. Again, we're beat up. Sometimes we get out of tune. <laughs> we have broken strings. You know, some, some of us are temperamental. Some churches are temperamental. The weather affects them. You know, go out of tune. Like the temperature drops five degrees and then you go out of tune and you got to retune it again. But it's still got a great song in it. And it's the only song. It's the only instrument God sings his song through. That's it. And that's you. That's the church. And the church has a song of hope in it. When the church gathers in the moment, just like we did with worship, just like we're going to in just a few moments, when the church gathers in the moment, something very special happens. And we become that object lesson, that particular group of people who stand in grace and mercy and stand before the world and say, hey, look at the wisdom, look at the genius of God in reconciling people to himself. Here we are. Micah 6, 8, uh, wonderful scripture just tells us a few things, just three things that we can do as we live together to be that object lesson. And Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. And he says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Man, those are three things. To act justly, it means what the kingdom's going to look like. It means that we demonstrate this mutual respect for one another in community. It's the justice describes what social relationships between people based on God's view looks like and what is appropriate. Not on our own biases, but on what God sees people as. That is, that is acting justly. How I respect, how I value another person is a reflection and a picture of God. It's an object lesson of God. A song being played in that moment. Like, look at God. Look at Him. Love mercy. Love mercy. To love mercy. To act justly. To love mercy. Eddie Peoric was just with us here, what, two months ago, three months ago. A friend from California. And, and Eddie wrote in the book that he just released called uh, Classic Vineyard. In the, in the first chapter, he ends that chapter on mercy. And he, and he says, mercy may just be the currency of the kingdom. Mercy may just be the currency of the kingdom. Mercy. To love mercy. How many of you love to receive mercy? Now, come on. You know what? When you receive mercy, you know what it means. It means you don't deserve it, right? Or it wouldn't be mercy. Isn't that right? Because if you could do something to deserve it, then that person or whatever would not have to give you mercy. You would have attained it. You would have earned it. So that means that when you do something and you think I'm going to get taken, you know, I'm going to get taken and uh, I'm going to be taught a lesson here in this, and you go in and suddenly the person says, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to get through this. We're going to make this work. The mercy flows. The people of God, as an object lesson, should be a people of mercy. How we treat one another. When you pray for someone, you say, I don't know how to pray for anybody. Tim, I, I just don't have the words. Hey, just pray this. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> That's a great prayer, isn't it? 
Lord, have mercy. If someone says, will you pray for me? And you, you start going through you know, your thesaurus and your, and your dictionary. You're trying to choose the right words. Hey, don't worry about that. Just go, Lord, have mercy. Remember the guy in church, Jesus, the story Jesus told about? It was a guy that came in the church. He stood in the back. And, you know, like Brian back there right now. Brian's standing in the back. And, you know, he's... And, uh, this guy comes in the church and there's a preacher, you know, that comes up front and he's all whoop-de-doo, I'm perfect with God and, you know, look at me. And he's down just flaunting and showing how holy he is. But the guy in the back beats on his chest and he goes, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that man will go back to his home justified. He's going to go back home with the mercy. Whereas the guy down front who says, thank God, I'm not like this guy in the back. <laughs> He's not going home with any mercy <laughs> because he didn't extend any mercy. I love mercy, don't you? I love it when people pour it out on me, when they forgive, when they shoot me a break and they say, Tim's just having a bad day you know, or whatever. And, or sometimes it's even more than just a bad day, isn't it? Sometimes there are things in our life where extending mercy costs us a lot. It's very valuable just as it costs God a lot. But he puts that mercy and that grace in our lives as the church, and he says, manage it well. Here is an amount of grace. Here is an amount of mercy for you to spend. It's in your bank account, and you can spend it however you want to spend it. Spend it well. And be a picture of the mercy I've shown you. But you've got to spend it. You go and spend it. Love mercy. Love mercy. Act justly and then walk humbly. That's a life walk that is not proud but is attentive and careful and prudent to follow God's will. It's making a decision that I'm not going to respond in my arrogance or in my egotistical, all-knowing, monumental, God-like qualities. I'm going to respond in a humble way to a person. I'm going to take the posture of a servant. I'm going to take the posture of someone who is still learning. I'm going to walk humbly with God and before people to walk humbly. Man, just doing that, you know, that, that takes a lifetime. Those three things, don't you think? For us to, I mean, we'll probably never get it just right because the guitar gets out of tune every now and then. But you know what? It gets tuned back up and we like help each other. And the church cannot, you cannot do it by yourself. You can't tune yourself. You know, we need each other. We need each other together. The church is that place where they are the object lesson of God's mercy, of God's humility and strength too, and power in the Holy Spirit. But you are the people that God has chosen to show his wisdom through to this place. That's you. There's hope in the church. Your last fill-in is this, and that is the church is about protest. Don't get up and leave. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You know, protest. Oh, great, here we go. Politics. This has nothing to do with politics. Church is about protest. Let's read our scripture. Ephesians 3.10 says that it should be made known. This is what's going on, right? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, you know, this is a 
fist shake in the face of the devil and the enemy who would come to kill, steal, and destroy everything that's good on this earth. When you gather, when you do church, when you live together, when you forgive, when you show mercy, you're doing this to the devil. Well, you see what I'm saying? It's a protest. It is a protest that, you know what? You, what you meant, meant for harm, what you meant for stealing, for robbing, for taking away from this earth, the church as an object lesson, right now in this moment, raises a fist to you and says, you will not have the last word. Where this world is full of those who don't care about them, this church will show the mercy and the grace of God. And I'm a part of it. And it's a protest. This is every time the church gathers, every time it does what it does well, it is a protest to the face of the enemy who would come to kill, steal, and destroy. Ephesians 6.12 says... For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you get that? There's another force at work in the church, through the church. The church is a protest to that. It's like, no, you want. John 10.10, the thief comes only to kill and to steal And to destroy, and Jesus says, but I have come to give you life, and what? And life to the full. You notice that, I told you this book is genius, right? This Bible, it's crazy, it's good. John 10, 10, Jesus says, here's the enemy, the devil, the thief. He comes to kill, but Jesus comes to what? Give life, okay? Life. Devil, death, Jesus, life. The devil comes to kill and to Steal, right? Jesus comes that what? They may have. Like Jesus hasn't come to take away from you. He has come to give you something wonderful. Not rob from you. Not to steal from you. That's the enemy. And then what's the third one? The thief. He's come to destroy. But what does Jesus say he's come to do? That you may have life. What? To the full. Devils to destroy everything you have. Jesus has come to give you the fullness of everything that's in them. And so that calling and that way to live that we're called to, every time we gather, every time you're in your small group, every time you forgive someone, every time you guys work through a situation where you want to cut and run from the church, every time you do that, it's like this to the devil. I'll show you. It's a protest. I won't, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let this happen. And, you know, I'd love, if you're a guest here or you're checking church out again, I'd love for you to stick around here. But if you don't stick around here, find a good church. Now, there's some great churches around here. My friend Jeff Dunn, just over the bridge over there, is doing a great work. I mean, check some churches out. Find a church home and start playing the music again. Because it's God's intention. That's how he does what he does. It's in the moment now. We're not curators of a museum. We are those who are in the moment for the moment. For Myrtle Beach right now. This is why we're here. For the missions work that we do. It's now. It's about now. And it's about you participating in the now. Now I... We're going to take communion, but I want you to think about something. 
If you're here and you're just about ready to bail out on church, or if you have bailed out and you're finally checking it out again and you're like, you know, I've walked past that wall and seen it hanging there, 17 Oak Street, you know, I just see it hanging there. And you, you don't want to pick it up again. You're like, I've been hurt too bad. I want to give you an invitation to ask for that grace and that mercy from God for you to engage again in God's purposes. And his purposes are that we do this together. None of us can reveal or be that object lesson of the wisdom of God by ourselves the way we can do it together. None of us can. And so... Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that those hurt, and there may be deep hurt here, Lord. There may be spiritual abuse. There may be brokenness for the local church doesn't always get it right. We, we don't, God. We just don't. Oh, but Lord, you love your church. You love your church. So I pray for, Lord, a gift of healing to come to the hearts of those who have been so broken right now Holy Spirit come with your presence you're the comforter the healer (laughs) you stick close to us your definition Lord of who you are in the spirit and you come alongside us now some of us need to be healed Lord we just uh, we just don't want to get hurt again like we have Lord, bring your healing. Now, bring that mercy that we read about loving mercy, to love mercy, to extend mercy. Now, ask that, Lord, you manifest your mercy here among us today by touching hearts, broken hearts. But you do love your church, and you are building your church so come Holy Spirit pray for those who have been misunderstood Lord who were sincere in what they tried to do and tried to offer but were misunderstood and Lord I pray for mercy mercy I pray for those that are even deeper than that, Lord, who have suffered some serious abuse. I pray your mercy, your mercy, your mercy. Come. You're going to make your bride spotless and clean. One day it's going to be just pure. Until that time, Lord, we're still working at it. (laughs) And we need your grace and your mercy to do this well. It takes people to do this well. Come and do it in your people, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.